what we always encourage practices to do is start with just your existing client base. Don't worry about taking anybody else on. Start with just your existing client base. And you don't have to offer a payment plan to everybody. You could start with dentals. I get it. You tried payment plans. You didn't like them. But is it time to try again? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today I talk with Amy St. Arnaud and Heather Kamisa. One's a nonprofit advocate and founder of two for-profit veterinary practices, and the other is an economist who's looking at the revenue impact of new or newly tried ways to help clients pay. The experiment with payment plans? Put 10000 in discounts on a case-by-case basis, or put 10000 in starting and maintaining a payment plan. The research so far, they say, shows it's possible that $10,000 earns more revenue and gets more help. Dunno, let's see. So, first, how did a nonprofit advocate and an economist wind up studying for-profit ways for veterinary hospitals to make money? About 25 years ago, I was working as an economist. And I was volunteering with animal welfare agencies. And I had a Yogi Berra fork in the road come to me. And I ended up, you know, moving into the animal welfare space. And I've worked with national animal welfare organizations, local organizations, and now um, really focused on veterinary medicine with Amy and Open Door Veterinary Collective. So you kind of bopped around in animal-related research, kind of ran around in there. Yeah. And, you know, recently I worked on a project for Meals on Wheels America. And very interestingly, you know, the recognition of if they want their clients to thrive at home, that they need to recognize the importance of the animals in the lives of their clients. And so we did some new research. Clients, they have homebound seniors with pets, the importance of those animals in their lives, and very importantly, What have they foregone in their own care to provide for their pet? And so this certainly has a a lot of implications for the veterinary field as well as the social service field. And how are we all going to figure this out when it comes to people being able to get the care they need for their pets? Okay, Amy, how did you stumble into this veterinary world? Well, I'm a wannabe veterinarian. Uh, I had that dream of six years old being a veterinarian and then realized I can't do blood or needles or math. So (laughs) I had to find another way to get involved. So I found a way to be a co-owner, a practice owner of veterinary clinics so that I could still fill that need to help animals and people. Okay, awesome. And the two of you are coming together on something we're going to talk about today, which is the Open Door Veterinary Collective, which sounds like a a really big thing. I want you to describe whoever wants to start. Tell me what this is, and then we'll dig into kind of the research that's recently been done and how it's played out in the field with real private practices and organizations. Well, both of our background has really been in nonprofit. And so my background came from working in building mentorships to help people open up spay neuter clinics or learn spay neuter techniques for veterinarians and for support staff. And so when I was working at Humane Alliance, which was the National Training Center for Spay Neuter, we really saw how important mentorship was and being able to help people, give them the tools to be able to open their own clinics or expand their clinics. We started seeing that there was a need for beyond spay neuter. There was a need for how do we do full service general practice 
in how can we increase access to care so that people get the care they need, but still make sure that the veterinary team is getting paid for their services and not having to give everything away. That was a really big deal for us. So we decided- Okay, and that's the part because you're getting close to a third rail that we know is there that's electrified, which is many veterinarians have seen it over the past decades. Nonprofits come in and they've really focused on baseline, so vaccination, spay and neuter, and that's about it. But they perceive there's all these people that are not taking their pets to for-profit veterinary hospitals in the area. Is there a way we can help? And of course, the for-profit veterinary hospitals understandably get worried, uh-oh, is this our clientele? And I know the Open Door Veterinary Collective is specifically going to kind of touch on, is there a conflict between these nonprofits and the for-profit hospitals in the area? But did you detect that in the work you did mentoring people who are interested in spay-neuter? And when you increase the level of care, did you run into those conflicts or feel any of that tension? Absolutely. And that's okay. actually why myself and my business partners opened our two practices as for-profit private practices, because we knew that as a nonprofit, we knew what we could do, but we wanted to actually see, is it possible to have a business model that can increase access to care as a for-profit and still be net positive revenue? That was our question we put forth. And the answer to that is yes. And it can be done in any <laughs> model. It can be done in any type of practice. And that's why we then started a nonprofit that could actually take the principles we learned from these private practices and deliver them out. We want everybody to be doing these things. We don't want to just have this be at our clinics. We want to try and get this out all across the nation. And we've really got it distilled into five basic principles that people can take and put into their own practices. And so that's really what we're trying to do is to take what we've learned and spread it out across the country to help others. I mean, we could speak to the success or what happened at those two practices, but maybe even more recently, there's new research that the two of you have had your hands in and worked on, which looks, so really looks at, was focused maybe because it was the data that was at hand, but focused on payment plans. So I guess my question would be, do you want to discuss those principles for Open Door first, or should we go straight into that research? Because I am curious about the proof is in the pudding, which way you want to go? So Open Door Veterinary Collective is really focused on innovation and research around the issues surrounding access to care. And one of our five big keys to success of this model revolves around having payment options. We have an incredible amount of pain in the system around inability to provide care or pay a bill that day. And the really good news to jump ahead here is that there's some low hanging fruit which really is just implementing some more business tools that can resolve a lot of this pain in the system. So we conducted research. We got six years of data from a company that does a non-hard credit check payment option in veterinary medicine. And we got a you know data use ability to have that. It was scrubbed of client information. And looking at that and a proxy to figure out who would be ineligible for the common financing tools in use in veterinary medicine, we were able to not only just provide summary statistics of repayment rates and types of clinics use of this tool and how this really shook out, but we were also able to introduce a veterinary care multiplier and say, well, based on then these findings, which are truly just summary statistics of six years of data, what does that mean in terms of bridging this gap? Because we talk about the gap a lot. We say, you know, over 25% of pet families were unable to access needed veterinary care 
in the past two years. Too much of that conversation comes down to cost of care. We know there's many barriers, there's transportation, language, people are worried they might be judged, but by and far the largest barrier that is being faced is financial. And financial is not just cost, financial is also how people are able to pay. And that is the conversation we were able to hold up with this research. We really wanted to dig in and say, well, what does the data tell us in terms of what this tool could offer the veterinary field you know, reduce the pain on clinics, clients, and certainly pets. And so I think the standard payment options that sit out there usually are obviously cash on the barrel. So they're cash or check right there. Uh, Pre-existing credit cards they already have. Mm -hmm. Sort of an instant kind of a place of service. So like the care credit and situations like that, that are credit cards that are for use in dental situations or veterinary situations, you apply right there. And that's a hard check. So that's a standard credit card check. And then if they have pet insurance and they would have needed it previously. So if they have pet insurance, that's another thing that would help them pay. But they would have already have had to sign up for that before for that to help. And I, tell me if I'm right. Have I exhausted? Oh, other than just giving the care for free or discounting it or possibly the small angel funds. So sometimes veterinary clinics take in money and they hold that money for clients that have trouble paying and then they can give that money out. I say I've exhausted all the payment options except for the one you're going to talk about, but did I miss any? No, you have not missed any. And the the one that I would put a a pretty strong asterisk next to would be the pet insurance. And that's because we know all but one of them is a reimbursement model. And so the person would need to have the money that day anyway, and then be able to float that until they get reimbursement. So that's not quite the safety net that we need it to be. Okay, so then your data looked at, as again, we talked about the credit cards are a hard check. So that care credit or other credit cards like that are a hard check. I don't know. There's a like scratch pay out there. There are ones that say they're soft. Outside of that, what is the data? What was the option you looked at? And then what did you see if people, because I think you're talking about low-hanging fruit, institute something like this, low-hanging fruit, it'll show this veterinary care multiplier. What did you find? So we had six years of data from vet billing. So vet billing is a You know, it's almost like having a payment plan option in your practice, but you don't have to manage it. It's not your staff calling every month. Which is the biggest headache. Yeah, right, which is the biggest headache. This isn't holding post-dated checks. You know, this isn't, you know, all of that. This is someone else handling it. But the decision, your practice is involved in the decision whether to extend this to a client. You get recommendations from vet billing on how to administer it. So, you know, get this much down. Uh, maybe have it over this many months, but they manage the payment plan, the collection of the money, they deposit it into your account. You know, you get like a little dashboard you can log into and you don't have to manage it. So we call this in the paper practice-led lending and it is a soft credit check. We contrast that in the paper with, you know, traditional credit options and we use different letters just so we don't have to repeat the same things in the paper again and again. And what we found was that, first of all, we had over 20,000 records to look at, which is a really rich data set. And what surprised us is that overwhelmingly practices weren't even running that soft credit rating on the clients, which I'd love to know more about why and why not when that was done. The repayment amount overall was, you know, 94% was paid in full of total care provided. And that was our interest here. We weren't interested in 
what percentage of accounts paid in full or what percentage of amount financed? Because our goal is to really identify how much care is possible in the system by just adding a business tool like this. That again, the practice itself is not managing. It's just another vendor they bring on to provide a you know, market solution to clients so that they get paid and the animal and the client gets care. So on a subset of this data, and this was the really interesting piece for us, there were clinics that ran this soft credit rating. And that comes back as A plus A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Obviously, G is the lowest rating. And so we said, well, A plus through C are likely going to be approvals on one of these other options, as you mentioned. When we start getting into D, E, Fs, and Gs, and certainly E, Fs, and Gs, those are likely declines. So now we have somebody's in their clinic. We know that uh, six in 10 American workers live paycheck to paycheck. So we know that there's a cash flow. And we go through this in the paper and the, the citations are in there, obviously, for people to grab it. We think it's a really short, readable paper. It was published in Frontiers in Veterinary Science. So it's an open access journal, peer reviewed. And so this is all in there for them because we really do believe in building the financial okay. fluency of a medical team. And that we think these stats can help with that. 70% of millennials live paycheck to paycheck. And we now we know that millennials now comprise the largest piece of the pie of pet owners. So we have this one-two punch that's really going to hit us in veterinary medicine is the largest percentage right, of pet owners. Like yeah, <laughs> are you know seventy percent of them live paycheck to paycheck. So we have a cash flow issue. Now let's say, do we have a credit issue? And we do. Four in ten. Americans would not qualify for the standard options in veterinary medicine. And that's because they're either, they have a stale credit file, and that could be someone who paid off their home 20 years ago, and they have Little Fluffy, and now Little Fluffy has a major bill, and they just don't have the cash in the bank, and but they can't qualify for one of these options. Could be someone who's credit invisible, and 11% of um, people come back as credit invisible. And then we have those who are subprime, deep subprime, and near prime who are likely to be ineligible. So a third to four in 10 of our clients we can expect are not going to be able to get those other options. And some of the clinics that we work with, we're hearing approval ratings as low as 20%. So that leaves a wide gap. And meanwhile, there's these other tools. So getting back to our the data that we had, so we have payment options disassociated from a hard credit check, 94% of total cost of care was paid in full across those 20,000 records. In your research, you didn't just focus on, could they get the money from vet billing? Could they get the money from someone? You really wanted to track, did they pay? That was the interesting part of the research. Did they actually pay them? Were they able to pay up for the care? Right. Did this tool enable them to pay we did not have whether they had been declined. And that's where we had that proxy measure. Sure. So on the subset of data where that measure was run, we could look at them and see what their repayment was. And 94.1% was repaid. And that is either through a deposit or the monthly payments back. 94.1%. So 
when we look at this data, right, and we say, well, what does that mean? To your point, what if a clinic isn't offering this? They're often then feeling pressure or they want to help someone. So they're providing discounts to people, right? And so what could they do if instead of using that money that way, they just said, well, for those who can't pay us back with these other tools and vet billing, the data that we had is the clinic certainly is floating that money, right? You're getting it back over time. There's other entrants in the marketplace, soft credit score, payments over time that they manage, not you. And you can hit a guarantee button so that you would not be out that money. And so the thrust for us is, the short story is you could take that $10,000 and either provide direct subsidy or the multiplier that we introduce in the paper is 14.5. So essentially it's, you could provide $10,000 of care or you could take that 10,000 you provide in discounts and you could provide $145,000 of care. And that multiplier is based on the people who are the DEFs and Gs, the people who are unlikely to be eligible for the common financing tools you're offering in your veterinary practices. So now you've provided that and people will say, oh, well, you know, we lose that money. There's that percent that we don't get paid back. And we, we've been encouraging people to compare apples to apples because you are paying a cost if you are using one of these other hard credit tools. And that might be 5% that you are getting as like a, a merchant fee or a, a hit against what is being financed if it's a six-month contract. That could be 10% if it's a 12-month contract. And it could be 15% on an 18-month contract. We just encourage people to really compare apples to apples when they're looking at implementing these sort of tools in their practice. We certainly want to recognize there is a cash flow timing difference where the money is either upfront or over time. So we recommend putting in like a financial triage tree. So perhaps you are gonna encourage people to use one of these other tools first, and if they are declined, but have this other tool available. Because again, the multiplier in your ability to provide care and be paid, and their ability to access care is on the order of 14.5 times. So that's dollars or people at any given dollar amount. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two.
So I see what you're saying is there's an investment. You are, I guarantee every private practice veterinary hospital in America donates discounts and donates care. And that just comes off their bottom line, however they do it. And you're saying if you do 10, here's your $10,000 chunk. Mm-hmm. If you reinvent, if you take this ten thousand, you could invest directly into your angel fund or directly into in the moment discounts. Mm-hmm. You could take that ten thousand and either find something like vet billing, an outside company, and pay them a discount to manage it for you. Or some people have tried to. Well, we'll just have internally. We'll figure out. We'll manage an in-house payment plan, which many people struggle with, and so they they have a bad experience with that, and then they ditch it. It's hard to do that internally. Many places are can do that successfully and they don't. But that's going to take time and money. And as you said, there's also the issue of, well, it's going to take longer for the money to come in over time to the payment plan. So as you said, the cash flow. But if these are literally no's, I don't know. The reality is if these are no's, these are people who will not get the care. So either you're going to have to give it away or they're going to walk out. And there's no. Uh, those are the only two options left. I think also that's hard on the people who work there too. Oh, it's incredibly difficult on the people that work there. And, you know, the access to care report that was published in December of 2018, you know, interviewed veterinarians as well. And 86% said, you know, it's really emotionally and mentally hard on the client when they can't afford and access care. And I would say it's, you know, equally as painful on the clinic teams when a client can't afford care. And, you know, when you're saying they just walk out the door, they do this, we know there's also all the other negative things. There's the perception in the community, there's Facebook reviews being put up. And we're just, it's creating such a painful situation when a lot of this could be mitigated by just having another payment tool in our practices. I mean, literally that simple. So in the example of the $10,000, and I, again, I just want to clarify a number I said earlier, when we looked at the entire data set, you know, 94% is repaid, 93.1%, I might have said 94.1, 93.1 is repaid. And that is the client paying that, and that money goes to the clinic. Vet billing, the way their program works, they don't charge the clinic anything but a monthly fee to have their service to be able to run that soft credit check and have the dashboard and the tool available. They do not take a percentage of the money the person pays other than if they pay by a credit card and there's just a merchant fee. And the client themselves doesn't pay interest. They just pay $3 a month installment fee. So there are a few other players in this field. One of them is Verity. Um, They do operate a little bit differently, but they should be a tool that people look at. We are testing that out in the clinics that Amy is a partner in. So we kind of use her clinics as our test clinics for everything. And we, you know, we really compare like, what is the client experience? What is the clinic experience? What's the net net on the dollars amount to the practice? So just to clarify that vet billing does not charge the clinic a percentage of the total amount. Rather, they just charge a monthly fee to have the service. And then they take like a merchant fee if the people pay by a card pay them by a card when they deposit the money into the clinic's dashboard. Okay. And maybe I could ask because you did say, Hey, we have this chance. You have these two test bed practices. You're just, you're linked up with the the other person who's, who has access to these practices. Maybe I'm curious from Amy before this research, had you already been employing an in-house payment plan 
at these for-profit kind of experimental hospitals that are trying out these ideas. Did you already try that or was it after this research? Tell me how the, the payment plans play out or have played out in the past at the hospitals. We actually did implement them ahead of time. The research came okay. because of our success with them. Because okay. the biggest thing is, these aren't your mom's payment plans. I mean, I, that's, I hear from everybody, I tried a payment plan, I got burned, that's why I'm not offering it anymore. I get that. But the reason this is different is it's not you trying to manage it and follow up and be the collection agency. All you do is make the decision. It gives you the power so you get to decide. Because at our clinic, we have an 18 to 20% approval rating on care credit. So for the people that already are familiar with care credit and can use it, that's great. But for the people that they're turned down, there's no other option for them then. So now we're left in that vicious circle, right, of where we either have to turn them away, we have to tell them to surrender the pet, or we have to do an economic euthanasia, none of which are good for us or for the pet or the client. And then we get into that cycle of the negative reviews, them saying vets are all money hungry and, you know, I have to pay for your boat. Come on, we know vets didn't get into this to make money. If they did, they got into the wrong field. So I think for us, it was really trying to show that when you offer a payment plan, that it doesn't have to be a bad thing because I mean, Heather's going to be able to show you that the default rates are so low. And I, I actually like to look at them as an approval rating. So for us, we're seeing that in our clinics, we're having around a 94% approval rating of people who pay us back. Yes, that does mean there's some who don't. And yes, we have to plan for that. But still, those are people who might not have gotten care anywhere else. And these are our clients. These are people who maybe before... They did all of our recommendations. They were getting the routine dentals. They were doing the flea and tick. They were doing all of our treatment plan recommendations. And now due to financial concerns, they aren't able to do that anymore. Or maybe they're starting to decline the services. So this is, we actually believe payment plans. I'm going to put something out there controversial. We believe that payment plans can actually increase your practice revenue, not hurt it. You beautifully stated your maxim. And so I'll just, I'll play devil's advocate. So you already mentioned one, so I won't even mention it, which is we tried to do this and we either looked at the numbers and it didn't work or we had bad experiences. So we didn't like having to hound people. We did it in-house. So from that revenue coming in, so there's people who talk about their clientele and I want to talk about two kinds of clientele. I feel like you, you might've mentioned in there, there's people who have already come to your practice and these are people who are experiencing some temporary or long-term financial shift where they took great care of these animals for five years and they've been coming in and following all your recommendations, but someone was laid off. Someone's disabled. Someone got sick. They prepared for the wellness, but didn't prepare for this new illness cost. I mean, as you said, lots of people cannot or do not plan to have a chunk of money sitting in their savings account. I feel like those are the ones practices give the money to. They already know them. There's this more frustration with the people you've never seen before who come in and don't have money. So I want you to speak to that. How do your two practices handle the we've never seen this animal and now the animal comes in and needs an expensive care? I feel like a lot of times that's the period where the people might not give that option because they're like, we don't know you. We don't have a relationship. Do you handle those things differently where you've been here a lot? You've never been here. Well, that's a nice part about when you have a, a payment plan like this is you get to make that decision yourself. So you can choose any way. So what we always encourage practices to do is start with just your existing client base. Don't worry about taking anybody else on. Start with just your existing client base. And you don't have to offer a payment plan to everybody. 
you could start with dentals. Dentals are a great place to start with. And we actually learned from a clinic called Lake Road, which is a clinic in New York. They started offering payment plans for their dentals. So when they gave the estimate, they said, here's our payment plan. If you would like to do it on care credit, scratch pay, or vet billing over four equal payments or three months, six months, nine months, here's what it's going to look like. They found they increased their dentals by 30% because more people said, oh, I can afford that. Oh, I can do that now. So now we started doing that because we like to learn from everybody. And what we found is that not only did we increase our, our dental revenue by doing that, but we had a lot of people come in who said they initially were going to do the payment plan, but then they looked at it and said, you know what? I actually now think I can do it without, but just knowing that there's a, a safety net there for me made me actually begin the conversation with you to talk about dental. So even if clinics just started with one piece, then they can start adding on others and start saying, okay, now we're going to do it for other services. So for us, we do it for our existing clients, but we do tend to be the safety net in town for a lot of people who maybe have already gone to their regular vet, spent the money getting diagnosed, but now don't have the money for treatment. So we look at that as it doesn't mean that somebody's a bad credit risk because they got turned away for care credit or scratch pay. It could be for a variety of reasons. And so what we really look at is what do we, you know, let's build a relationship with this person. Let's really get to know them. Let's see what they're about. And then we get to make that decision. And there are times we might turn people away still, but it gives us that tool. So now I actually think it's an even a vet retention piece. I think that what we need to start thinking about is, we know that we don't want to have to turn away the clients we have relationships with. And we also know how hard it is on the veterinary team. So imagine now if you're giving them a way to say yes, instead of having to say no, we clients are so grateful. We really, we don't get burned. And when we do, you know what? We chalk that up to, there were some other things going on in their life. This wasn't us. We did what's right for that pet. And I'm always going to stand by that. If I'm doing what's right for that pet, then I can live with that. Okay, in that case, I, I hate to veer off the money, but I am cu- just to tag on to that. So human beings, some people are pessimistic, some people are optimistic, some people have an easy time seeing the good in people. And some people, because of their upbringing and their life and experience, they've gotten frustrated, and they've gotten burned a bunch of times. And so they don't have that right attitude. I'm excited by this idea. Like it's, you're just saying, try this experiment, see if it works, pick a service, try it. Do you ever talk to veterinarians or practice owners, people who've been in business for a while, who do not have the minds? It is difficult for them not to judge clients. When you work in a community for a long enough time or you work in practice for a long enough time and you hold the purse strings and you're trying to help the pets, people just get jaded and cynical sometimes. And it's hard for them to say that thing you said at the end, which I love, which is if they don't pay us, you know what we do? We make up stories. There could be all kinds of reasons why they didn't pay. Who knows? That is a very healthy psychological coping technique. I love it. Does anybody ever come to you who's really negative? And then if they're sold on it, is there something about it that sells the person who really feels burned by this? They've already tried it. The people who can't pay, they never pay and it causes a problem. I'm just tired of it. I'm so tired of it. How do you sell those people on this? Have you in person or have you talked to them? Oh, yeah. And by the way, we do have a lot of coping mechanisms, a lot of chocolate and sugar and wine. And other <laughs> okay. things as well, not all healthy, but we definitely do see that. I mean, honestly, a lot of people get in this field because we love the pets, but we can't deal with the people. And then, of course, that's what vet med is all about. There's a the person attached to that leash at the other end. And so I think it is really shifting the mindset. But, it, I, you know, somebody said something to me I thought was so brilliant was it's more about 
not taking on our own pain, letting go of the unnecessary pain. We're taking all this on. We're getting so upset. We're so riling ourselves up. That's not good for us. So when we start to look at is everybody's coming in doing the best they can in that moment and that we start to really, it does change your, your perception. It's, and you start to realize that maybe they had so many other things going on. Maybe they just lost their job. Maybe they had to take two buses to get here. You know, maybe they're like facing so many other things that they have to deal with. And so when they are getting angry or they're yelling at us, it's really not about that. It's about fear. It's about their fear. They're not going to be able to afford something. They're afraid they're going to be judged. And I know that sounds sometimes Pollyannish, but I think what we really try to tell people is that if you just try it and see if you start to shift it a little bit, because what we do is we hold money. So instead of having to set aside discounts or give everything away for free, we do set aside a little bit of money, knowing that we're going to have to cover that anybody who doesn't pay us. But because we're having such good success rate and a lot of people like to come to our clinics because they know that we will help. We also have a stay together fund where we give a dollar back from every healthy pet exam into it. And we put that into a fund for our medical staff to be able to use. People like to support that because they see that we're giving something back. So we get a lot of really positive reviews because of that. And I think what we tell people is if you just try it and just try one piece, see how it works, that I do think we start to get people who can convert because otherwise there's no other option. You're in a constant battle of trying to have to either turn them away, not be able to do service. Now you're going to go fight negative reviews online. So it actually, to me, you end up in more battle than if you just offer an option. And I want to be clear, you don't just have to do payment plans. That's not the only option out there. We do a lot of other things. We partner with nonprofits who have medical funds they can help pay for some of the medical care. We use Waggle for some crowdfunding. We basically do what we call financial triage. We look at where somebody's at, we see what it is they need, and then we look at what resources are available in the community to be able to get that pet the care they need. And then, of course, we will also look at a spectrum of care treatment option as well in our clinic. So I know I'm throwing out a bunch of controversial things there, but I think that we you know when we look at all of these options, it's not just one thing that's going to get it done. But if you set this as part of your philosophy, we have guiding principles in our clinics. What we'll find is that it starts to become the way you think. And it doesn't take a lot more time to do because you start ingraining it into your practice. So one last thing I did want to say about this topic is we actually are hoping that we're, we're in the process where we're hoping we're going to be able to work with 20 clinics where we're going to be able to offer them to come on and test a payment plan with us for a year. And any defaults will be covered. So there's no risk. So we're putting that out there here. Clinics come listen to this podcast. Maybe they're a little scared. Maybe they're a little afraid. We're going to give you an option to try it at no risk to you. And I promise you that you're going to walk away going, you know what? That was a lot different than I thought it actually could work. Want to learn more or join the experiment of the Open Door Veterinary Collective? Visit opendoorconsults.com. And that wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave a review. Tell your friends and vet med about us. And if you want more, you're in luck. We go deeper on Open Door's other ideas for helping pets get care while making a profit in the extended version exclusively for our leaders community. Learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, just want you to know I appreciate you.